0: Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, Luke 23. We continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're near the end. We're almost to, to the very last chapter, chapter 24. We're seeing our Savior. He is the perfect man. He is the sacrifice. He is the substitute for the sins of the world. And as we study this section, Jesus, of course, is on the cross. He is paying for our sins. We are, we're looking at a number of things, several things as we go through the passage. First of all, we're just seeing the flow of events. We started back and talked about the arrest and, and the trials at night and what time they, took him before Pilate and then when he got put on the cross and all of that so we've been following the flow of events we've been also seeing prophecies being fulfilled as Christ dies for us there were so many Old Testament prophecies especially even ones when he was on the cross and we looked at those and we're going to continue to do that and then there are seven sayings that Jesus said on the cross and we've looked really at all seven of those statements that he made when he was on the cross this morning we're going to see a very powerful event Because Jesus dies physically. We meet a man by the name of Joseph who comes to get the body of Jesus. This man is named Joseph of Arimathea. He buries Jesus with the help of another man. And and Gospel Luke doesn't tell us we have to go to another place to find out who that is. Who is that person? There is so much in this section as we bring to an end the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now here's the key. It's not over. It's not the end. Jesus has paid for sin. He has died physically. He's in the grave. as what we'll see at the end of the passage. But three days later, the world's greatest event is Jesus rises from the grave to conquer death. We want to be excited as we study God's Word, as we see these great truths. You know, as a pastor, I get to do a lot of things. I get to do a lot of different things. I get to study and teach. I, I get to teach big groups like Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, those kind of things. I get to teach small groups. I, I've got a group on Tuesday night, and a Wednesday morning, a Thursday morning, a Friday afternoon. I mean, I get to do all of that. I also get to help people understand the truth, especially concerning the whole issue of salvation. Salvation is just simply by faith. and They understand the death and resurrection of Christ and all of that. I'm, I'm there many times when people are born. I'm there when they get married. And sometimes I'm there when they die. Death is one of the hardest things. We realize that in the New Testament, the whole idea of death and burial, is so different than today. In fact, when a person died in the New Testament, they were buried as soon as possible, usually within 24 hours from their death, because they didn't preserve the bodies like we do. They would take a person, they would wash the body, they would wrap strips of cloth around the body, and then they would cover it with spices. Sometimes spices called myrrh, some aloes, those things. Really sweet, sweet smelling. Then they would take the body and they would put it in a tomb. Not down in the ground, in the sense like Div and Greg, but usually put it up in a tomb inside a cave or someplace like that and then the body would decay and what they would do is come back they would wait four, five, six days after putting the body in there they would come back they would bring more spices and they would continue to anoint the body of course it's going to smell bad and that's one of the reasons they had those spices so it wouldn't smell as bad as the body decayed and then eventually there would be nothing but bones left they would take the bones and put them in boxes called ossuaries and sometimes entire families were in a box they would put all of the bones down in there and they would keep them in that way well, in our passage this morning, we see a man by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. He takes the body of Jesus off of the cross and buries Jesus in his own tomb, puts him in the tomb. And we're going to talk more next week about what they had. Usually there was a flat place inside these these places and they would just lay the body out and they would come back and anoint the body over a period of time. He wraps this body and then there's another person who helps him. And we're going to see where he places Jesus in the tomb With the whole plan is to return some days later, and continue to anoint the body. We also realize there's some women watching the whole thing. The women that had followed Jesus from Galilee on down, they're watching because they have a plan too. Their plan is they're going to wait three or four or five days, and they're going to come back and anoint the body. So this morning we see the burial of our Savior Jesus. Now we, we have to thank the Lord that this is not the end of the story. story doesn't end with the burial of Jesus Christ. If it, if it did, we wouldn't be here. If it did, we would have a martyr. We wouldn't have a Savior. And there's a big difference. Well, this morning, the burial of Jesus. Let's begin. Let's think about it. Jesus has died on the cross to pay for our sins, pay for the sins of the entire world. He died for us. We have seen a number of prophecies being fulfilled. We've seen the seven statements of Jesus on the cross. We've come to understand the great truth, and this is something we've got to understand. When Jesus was on the cross and He took our sin upon Himself, He was separated from the Father. Spiritually separated from the Father because the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. Jesus separated the Father. That's why He said... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taken our sin upon himself and he is paying the penalty of our sin. Sin was paid for. In fact, uh, before he died, he said this. He said, "It." is finished because the payment has been made you realize that jesus christ died on the cross and was separated from the father so we would never have to be separated he was forsaken so we wouldn't have to be forsaken he indeed is the savior the work has been done it is finished he is paid for sin and all who believe in him have eternal life we ended last time with jesus giving up his life With him dying. When he died, he laid down his life. He's the one in control. Jesus isn't at the mercy of anyone. He is the one who lays down his life. He takes it up again. Look at Luke chapter 23. Look at verse 46. Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Which literally means he gave up his life. He gave up his breath. Jesus laid down his life and he will take it up again. As we continue this morning, what happened After he died physically, what normally would happen to the bodies of people who were crucified? What would they do with those bodies? we're going to see. Let's break down our passage. I want you to understand this. We're going to have to go several places. As you know, what we've been doing, we get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, and we're seeing Christ on the cross and all that. We've gone to some other places. We're going to have to start this morning by going to Matthew 27, because I just want you to see this, where Jesus dies, where he gives up the Spirit, but two things happen. The veil is torn, and there's an earthquake, and we'll talk about that. Then we'll have to go to the Gospel of John, and we'll go fairly quickly through these passages, but we're going to see being prepared basically for the burial we'll see the broken legs of the of the people on the cross we'll see two more prophecies fulfilled it's amazing two more prophecies fulfilled after he dies we'll see that and then we'll see him coming to get the body and then the last thing is we'll go to the verses that we read earlier this morning from Luke chapter 23. Uh, we'll see where Joseph comes to get the body and then we'll see the women who look at everything and, and their plan is to come back and uh, anoint the body as well. Well, let's do this. Let's let's get a little bit of a review. Let's go back and see the death of Christ on the cross when he died physically. So hold your place in Luke 23 and turn over to Matthew chapter 27. So just a few pages back toward the front of your Bible, back through Mark and then to Matthew chapter 27. I just want you to see this. It's all Always good to, to follow the passages and, and look at them yourself. I mean, it's important, you know, if you, if you go to a church or if you're somewhere and somebody's teaching the Bible and they say turn to John 4, turn there because look at it just to make sure that they're not saying something it doesn't say. You know, you want to look at the passage and make sure that. Let's, let's take a look at it. Matthew 27, look at verse 50. This is where Jesus dies physically. Now, I want you to understand something. He's already died spiritually. He's already been separated from the Father. He's already paid for sin. Sin was paid for when he was separated from the Father spiritually on the cross. Now he has died. He's about to die as we see this passage physically. 27 verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He's crying out with a loud voice. He wants them to hear this the best that we can hear, uh, understand from Matthew. You go to the other Gospels. This is when he said, into your hands I, I, I uh, commit my spirit. It says he yielded up his spirit, which really means he gave up his life. He's the one, he's in control. You know, if we looked at this whole thing, they're not grabbing Jesus and taking him off and, and all this. He, he's in control. He could stop this any minute, anything he wanted to do. In fact, when they arrested him, he turned to his men and he said, couldn't I call all these angels if I wanted to, to stop this? This is the plan. I'm going to the cross. That's the plan. And so he gave up his life. He yielded his spirit. But there's something that happened. Two things happened. Verse 51 shows it. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The first thing we see is the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. You remember that the temple, there was there was the big building that was the temple, and there was a wall all the way around it. Jewish people could come to the front here, and the gates were opened. You could come in, and you'd see the priest. You could come no farther than that. There were the priests. There was a place called the altar, the big brazen altar, in which they could offer sacrifices. On the other side of the altar was this big Uh, They called it a laver and where they could wash the priest would wash not people but the priest then that you went into the temple, and there was a front room called the Holy Place. And if you walked in this room, people couldn't walk in this room. The only people who could go in this room were the priest, and only certain priests. And if you walked into that room, over here was a lampstand that burned all the time. On this side was a table that had 12 loaves of bread. They changed it out once a week. And in the very back of the room was another altar. It was about this big, made out of solid gold. It's called the Altar of Incense, and it burned all the time, and incense smoke was going up. Right behind that altar was this big curtain. It's called a veil. It separated this room from another room called the Holy of Holies. And in the back room was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the, where God made His presence known. Now, if you were a priest, you might go in and you might do the, the lampstand, you might do the bread, you might do the altar of incense, but you never went behind that curtain. It was symbolic. That the way to God was not open. One day, once a year, tenth day, seventh month, called the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go into the back room with blood from an animal and pour it on top. ...of the Ark of the Covenant. That's the only time anybody could ever go in the back room. And as long as that veil was there, the writer of the Hebrews tells us... ...as long as that veil was there, it showed the way was not open to God yet. Sin had not been paid for. And so man had to come to God through the priest and through the sacrifices. When Jesus died on the cross, physically, when this whole thing happened... ...it goes on to say, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom... That's symbolic from the top to the bottom because God is the one who tore the veil. It is now open. If you would have walked in that room, you would have been able to see into the back room. We know this, that Jesus died approximately 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He died at the time of the evening sacrifice. That meant there were a bunch of priests there. They may have heard some noise. Some of the priests said, I'm going in there and check it out. Some priests may have walked in and went... I can see into the back room. I'm not supposed to see into the back room. Come here. Come here. Somebody look at this. What is going on? They saw something happened. The New Testament goes on to tell us that a great number of priests believed in Jesus as Messiah. It's because they saw that. The way is now open. I want you to understand you don't have to come to any priest. You don't have to come to anything to get to God, you come to God through Jesus Christ, who is your Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. That's the way you get to God. There was a second thing that happened, and it was an earthquake. The earth shook and the rock split. Verse 51, and I think it's God showing His power. It shows the symbolic of the fact that the graves are going to be opened, the earth has been changed, and all of this. So two big events happened when Jesus died. Matthew tells us that the veil was torn, the way to God is opened, and the earthquake, which shows God's grace power and his victory over death. That that happened when Jesus died. Now what we need to do is let's go turn to John chapter 19. So you go from Matthew to Mark to Luke, go to John and go to John 19 and I want you to see what happened. Now picture this. Jesus has died physically on the cross. It's getting late in the afternoon now. You're Jewish. The next day that's coming up is a Sabbath day. I'm going to explain it more in a minute. But, you know, a Sabbath day was their rest day. And they weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. They know those bodies are up there, especially Jesus. They want those bodies off because if it comes the Sabbath day, they won't be able to go take them off of there. And they may stay on there two or three days. So look what happens. Verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross. Uh, on the cross, on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, they asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. And when it says the Jews, we're talking about these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, they didn't want the bodies remaining on the cross, they didn't want them hanging up there, and they they knew that if, if it got past, if it came six o'clock in the evening, it was going to be the next day, the next day was the Sabbath, if it got the Sabbath day, they couldn't get the bodies off. So what they did is they decided to go to Pilate and say, Would you break their legs? Would you have their legs broken? So they'll die faster. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then we can get the bodies off. I want to explain something to you so you can figure out what's going on. Notice it says, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. I want you to understand that Jesus died on Passover. Passover is the 14th day of the first month. It could fall on any day of the week. We don't know what day of the week that it fell on when Jesus died on the cross. We don't know. I'll tell you what tradition says, but I'll show you that we don't know. When Jesus was with, went and ate the meal with the guys the night before. That was Passover night. The night comes first in the Jewish calendar. So they ate that night, and then that day when Jesus was on the cross in the morning, it was Passover day. He's dying as the Passover lamb. He died for us. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover goes back to Egypt when they kill that lamb, a Passover lamb. They put the blood on the door and they were delivered from bondage of Egypt. Jesus is our Passover lamb whose blood was shed for us, who delivers us from the bondage of sin. Jesus died on Passover. Now, it's, he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because it says he died around the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock. It's now getting closer to the end of the day. When that day ends, the next day is a Sabbath. I want you to understand that Passover is on the 14th day of the first month. Following Passover, there is another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it started on the 15th and went through the 21st. And the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was always a Sabbath. Now let me explain something to you. God told the Jewish people, you shall work six days and rest on the Sabbath. First day of the week is Sunday. They worked Sunday through Friday, and then every Saturday was a Sabbath day. Sabbath is not Sunday. Saturday is Sabbath. Now, that was every week. But they had many days, which they called them Sabbath days, which means a rest day. It was not always Saturday. It could be any day. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was always a Sabbath day. So when Jesus is on the cross, we don't know what day. It could have been a Tuesday. It could have been a Wednesday. It could have been a Thursday. It could have been a Friday. Whatever. When he's on that cross, the very next day, regardless of whether it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, the next day is going to be a Sabbath. Tradition says Jesus died on Friday because when they read the Bible and it says the next day was a Sabbath, they assume since the next day was a Sabbath that he had to die on Friday. But if you look at Matthew chapter 12, 38-40, Jesus said, As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. If Jesus died on Friday, you can't get three days and three nights for Sunday. You can't do it. So if you take that passage literally, Jesus probably died on a Wednesday. Day-wise. The very next day, regardless of what day of the week it was, it's a Sabbath. That's why they want those bodies off of there. Now here's what they say to do. Notice. They went to Pilate, that last part of verse 31. They went to Pilate and asked that their legs might be broken so they might be taken away. Now you remember that, that when they're on the cross... And they're suffocating because they they fall down and it goes up and it cuts off their windpipe and they can't hold themselves up and they suffocate. But they had a little place fixed and when they nailed people's feet together and they had this little place, they were able to push themselves up and then they would slink down and then they would push themselves up. Well, if you break somebody's legs, they can't push themselves up anymore, and they die much faster. So the Jews said to Pilate, would you go have their legs broken? If their legs are broken, they won't be able to push up, and they'll die faster. We'll get the bodies off before the Sabbath. That's the plan. So look what happened. Look at verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. You remember there was two, one to the right and one to the left, and the soldiers come and they break their legs because they're still alive. And those two soldiers, uh, those two uh, men on the cross, crucified with Jesus, are a picture of mankind. Because one believed and one didn't. One believed and had eternal life. One did not believe and is separated from from God. Notice verse thirty-three. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Why didn't they have to break his legs? Because he's already dead. Now you might say, so to so what? We're going to see in just a minute that fulfilled a prophecy. We'll see it in just a minute. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Why did the soldier take a spear up and stab him in the side? Why did he do that? They wanted to make sure he was what? Dead. He looked dead. He looked dead. Don't don't break his legs. I believe he was dead. Well, I'm going to make sure. And he stabbed him. And what came out? Blood and water. See that inside of it is just, you know, just a mess. Here's blood coming out. And that's the great picture of our Savior. Because if you think about it, First Peter says we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the writer of this book is John. The Gospel of John. And he, he was there. He saw this. He wants us to make sure that, that, he, that he saw it and it's true. So notice the next verse, verse 35. And he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth... So that you also may believe. John wrote the Gospel of John to show us who Jesus is so people could believe in Christ as Savior. Do you understand that? The whole purpose of the Gospel of John was to show that Jesus is the Savior. I've got a couple of verses I think we can put up here. John 20, verse 31, is the theme of the Gospel of John. It says this, There are many other signs that Jesus did, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you will have eternal life. John wrote the Gospel of John so that people would read the Gospel, see who Jesus is, and believe in Him for eternal life. That's why if you have somebody that you're talking with, and they're not a Christian, or you don't know if they're a Christian, you can say to them, Hey, hey, do me a favor. Read the gospel of John. Just tell him, read the gospel of John. Because when they read the Gospel of John, they'll see who Jesus is, and the whole Gospel of John was written so that they might believe who He is and see who He is and believe in Him for eternal life. There are other verses. John 3.16 is from John that says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes. That's the key. John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes. John 10.28, I give them eternal life over and over. The Gospel of John talks about having eternal life. Of course, the great verse, Ephesians 2:8-9 says by grace. You are saved through what? Through faith. It's always faith. It's always believing. It's that simple. There are people who have confused the gospel message for years and years. Some of you may have come out of situations in which the gospel was so confused, you're not even sure what you're supposed to tell people. You're supposed to tell them that Jesus died and rose again, paying for sin, and whoever will believe in Him will have eternal life. It is that simple, and that's why the writer of the Gospel of John says, "I saw all this, and I just want you to know that you might see these as true, and you might believe in Him." Now, in this passage, there are two more prophecies that are fulfilled even after Jesus dies. Notice what he goes on to say. He says, for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. I'm going to read 36 and 37 together. Here's the first one. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him in whom they have pierced. There are two scriptures that deal with the first and second coming of Jesus Christ that are fulfilled. One of them was not a bone would be broken. It goes back to Psalm 34. And he, as the, as a Passover lamb, no bones could be broken. Jesus Christ, as our Passover lamb, no bones would be broken. And you know, they came up there to break the legs, and he's already dead, so they don't break them. There's a second thing that had to do with this first and second coming, and that was the one they will look on him. I'm sorry, go back if you would. I want to just read that last part. They will look on him whom they have pierced. Zechariah 12, verse 10. You can go to the next slide because we're going to see how they tie together. They Notice this. They look on him whom they pierced. They just pierced him. But there's something more than this. Because in the first coming of Jesus Christ, he indeed is the Passover lamb, no bones were broken. But in the second coming of Jesus Christ, they will see the one in whom they have pierced. So both prophecies, one of them deals with this first coming, one deals with this second coming. Now, in Zechariah chapter 12, where it talks about they'll see the one whom they have pierced, listen to this. This is the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what it says. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him, even so. Amen. Even after Jesus died physically on the cross... Two more scriptures were fulfilled. One, no bones would be broken. That deals with this first coming. The second one, they will look on him who they pierced. Not only was it talking about they just stabbed him, but it's talking about the pierced one who's going to come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Very powerful things. Now, he... um, in this passage, there's a lot of prophecies and a lot of promises. I'm going to remind you of them. Just throw those up there for just a second. You remember Psalm 22, they said they would cast lots first clothes. They did. He said he was thirsty. In Psalm 69, he did. There would be no bones broken. Psalm, uh, the Psalm, they would look on the one who they pierced. Zechariah 12, go a little further. He'd be crucified with criminals. Isaiah, they would make fun of him. Psalm 22, he'd be forsaken. Psalm 22 verse 1. That's just a number of, of, Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was on the cross. I want you to understand something. Every promise that he's ever made to you, you can guarantee that it will come true. Let me show you some. He says, I give you eternal life. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room have believed in Jesus Christ. He has promised you eternal life. I guarantee you, you have eternal life right this moment if you have trusted in Christ his Savior. That's his promise. But about I'll never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13. He never leaves you. He's always there. I'll supply all your needs, Philippians 4:19. He may have supply all our wants, but I guarantee you he'll supply every need that we have. He says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, John 14. He's, he's up there now preparing it. You know what? When it's ready, he's going to come back and get us. That's called the rapture. He comes in the clouds. He takes us off the face of the earth. He's going to prepare a place for us. He says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. That's John 14. And that's true. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give you a new body. Now, if you just have to look around, we haven't got that yet, right? You can tell that very quickly. But there's going to be a time in which he gives us a new body. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. By the way, with a new body, everybody will be the same height. Anyway, um, (laughs) there are a lot of promises there. And they're all... For sure. Now, I want you to see two other things before we get to the last part. Look at verse 38. After these things, after two more prophecies were fulfilled, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Now there's a man named Joseph. He's from a little town called Arimathea. We don't know where it was. Some people think it's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Some people think it's about 6 or 7 miles from Jerusalem. Nobody knows exactly where Arimathea was. But he is a disciple of Jesus. That means he was a follower of Jesus. But you know what's amazing about it? It says he was a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. See, he was a member. We're going to see in a minute. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of Israel. He was a big deal. He had believed in Jesus, but he didn't tell anybody that he did. Until this time. Until it was time to get the body. Because let me tell you something. When the people had died on the cross... You know what they did with those criminals' bodies? They took them, and there was a place called Gehenna, which was the garbage dump, and it burned all the time. They would take the bodies of poor people, people who had no families, criminals. They would just take those bodies, and they would throw them in Gehenna and just burn them up. Joseph of says, they're not taking Jesus' body. So he steps out boldly, goes to Pilate and says, I'd like the body. When he said that, you know what everybody said? You must have liked Jesus. You must must believe in Jesus. And that's what he's saying. And he goes and he gets the body. But I want you to see one other thing. Verse 39, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. A man by the name of Nicodemus helped, G- helped bury Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a very powerful Jewish religious leader who came to Jesus by night and said, you must be from God because nobody can keep doing the miracles that you're doing. And then Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus went, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus explained it to him. And in John 3:16, that is where Jesus gave Nicodemus the gospel. And it could be. It could be that Nicodemus became a believer in Jesus. We don't know for sure, but he came to help bury Jesus' body. So it could be that Nicodemus became a believer as well. Very powerful. By the way, it says a hundred pounds weight of alloys of of, of uh, myrrh and alloys. That that's a huge amount of money, and a huge amount of spices. A normal a normal person they wouldn't even have one tenth of that. I mean, first of all, it just costs too much. The average person couldn't come up with that kind of money. So these two men are very wealthy. And a 100 pounds of myrrh is a huge amount of money. I mean, it's just, we'd go, that's a lot of money. But they did it because of their love for Jesus Christ. Now, what they've done is they've taken this body, and they've wrapped it up, they've anointed it, and they put it up in this tomb. And the plan is, three to four to five days later... When it begins to decay more, we'll come back with more spices and we'll keep anointing the body until it's nothing but bones. See, I want you to understand, they were not expecting the resurrection. And these women, we're going to see the women, they're going to come out very early in the morning, three or four or five days down the road. They're coming to anoint the body because, see, they're not expecting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's see what happened. I want you to turn uh, to th- back to Luke 23. We'll just go through these passages very quickly, beginning at verse 50. This is the passage we've already read this morning, and a lot of this has already been put together. Luke 23, look at verse 50. A man named Joseph who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. By the way, when the Bible talks about somebody being a good and righteous person, it doesn't mean they were a nice person. It means that they had believed in the Messiah because they have the righteousness of God which comes by faith. Every one of you in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible calls you a good and righteous person because you have received the righteousness of God by faith. This was this man. It says he had not consented to their plan and action. He wasn't for killing Jesus. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. When it says waiting for the kingdom of God... That has meaning that he was a believer and he was looking for the Messiah to come as the king. Notice it goes on to say, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, laid it in a tomb, cut in the rock where no one had ever lain. Now here's a question. Joseph was from Arimathea, which could be 20 miles from Jerusalem. It could be 6 miles from Jerusalem. Why does he have a tomb in Jerusalem? He doesn't live there. Most people never buried people where they didn't live. They buried their families where they lived. Why does he have a tomb there? I don't know. Except maybe it was for our Savior Jesus. That's what it's for. That's why he got it. That's why he had it made. That's why, notice, no one had ever lain in there before. It wasn't his family tomb. If it was his family tomb, they'd had his family in there. This was prepared just for our Savior. Notice it was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The preparation day is the day before the Sabbath. Now, not necessarily Saturday, because remember, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath. So it's whatever day of the week it is, it doesn't matter. Sabbath is the next day. Notice what happens. Now, the women who had come with him out of Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Now these women had been with him all over the place. They were with him at the cross. They're going to be with him at the burial. They're going to be with him at the resurrection. It's very powerful. They returned and prepared spices and perfumes because they figure three or four days from now they're going to go up there and they're going to anoint the body. Notice, and on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now we stop there. It's ended. Jesus is dying, and Jesus is buried. Now I said this a while ago, if this is where the story ends, we wouldn't even be here. It wouldn't be any meeting. It wouldn't be any countryside. It wouldn't be any local church. It wouldn't be pastor it wouldn't be us. There's nothing here. See if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, we have a martyr. We're not looking for a martyr. We're not saying we just we like this guy, so we're gonna follow him. No. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, if the story ends here, we have nothing. But it doesn't end here. Because Jesus rose from the grave. We're going to begin to see that next time. Let me show you something. From man's view, it's over. He's a good man. They thought he was the Redeemer. You remember, they do not expect him to rise from the grave. They hadn't got it together. We're going to see in the Gospel of Luke that these people, these couple of guys are walking there. They're on the way to their town called Emmaus. Jesus comes with them. They don't even know it's Jesus. He fixed it where they can't recognize who he is. And he asked them what's going on. And they said, we're real sad. And he said, why are you all so sad? And they said, you don't know what's going on? He said, no, tell me. And they said, they just killed Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was going to be The Redeemer. They think it's over. He's a good man. We thought he was the Redeemer. See, from man's point of view, this is a a sad story. But look at this. From God's view, it's finished. Payment is made. He is the Son of God. The work is completed. He will rise again. story's not over. The best part's about to come. You realize we're going to see starting next week, they go out to the tomb very early in the morning. Their only issue is how we're going to roll away the stone. And when they get there, they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The body's gone. You know what they think? They don't say, Hey, he's risen from the grave. They say, who and who got the body? Who stole the body? And if you were there, we'd be saying the same thing. And we're going to see Peter go run and John go run. John's younger, so John outruns him. Peter going, you're going too fast. John gets there early. But John's young, so he did not go in. Peter gets there and says, I'm going in. He goes into the thing. They don't find the body. What do they think? We'll see next week what they think. The greatest part of the story is still to come. Well, we've seen Jesus at his death. The veil was torn and there was an earthquake and these prophecies were filled. No bones would be broken. They'd pierce him. Uh, Joseph and Nicodemus got the body and they anointed it and they buried him and they, and this is before the Sabbath. They wanted to get it before the the changed days. And the women came to watch and then later they're planning to go back to anoint. Let me give you some applications. And here's the first one. Believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. See, he's the Savior. He's the one that gives eternal life. A, Jesus died. Jesus has paid for all our sins. We saw it. He's he's the payment. It's been finished. He died on the cross. He was separated from the Father. The payment has been made. B, he was buried to prove that he died physically. See, his spiritual death is what paid for our sins. His physical death is what showed that he died, and he's going to rise again conquering physical death. Listen, you know what people have taught throughout history? People talk throughout history that Jesus on the cross swooned. They call it the swoon theory. That he like passed out and they thought he died and they took him down and they buried him. And then he went, Ooh, oh, I just passed out. And so he didn't really die. That's what people say. Let me tell you, that guy took that spear and went all the way through his side. And he is the one who laid down his life. And he's the one who takes it back up. There is no swoon theory. Jesus died physically so he could conquer physical death. Third, he fulfilled all the scriptures concerning his first coming. He did. Every one of these scriptures we've been seeing, and I promise you this, he will fulfill every scripture and every promise dealing with his second coming in exactly the same way. So I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you trust Jesus as your Savior. He is the only way for eternal life. It's that simple. It really is now listen you know the story you know the message it's not being good it's not walking down an aisle it's not giving your life to jesus it's not repenting of your sins it's not making him lord of your life it's not getting baptized it's not keeping the ten commandments it's not agreeing to try to live for him none of that has anything to do with your salvation because you are not the savior jesus is the savior he died on the cross paid for sin and rose again he offers you the gift of eternal life you simply trust in him for life it is that simple don't mess it up. When you go out these doors, you go clearly with that message. Number two, B, or two, let's show our love for Jesus. How do we do that? A, we we love and obey Him. We, we love and obey our Savior. That's what we do. Uh, you know what these guys did? Do you realize that by Joseph and Nicodemus and the women, by even going out to that grave, by asking for his body, they risked their lives. When Joseph went up and said, I like his body, some of those Jewish leaders would have said, you want his body? You must be on his side. Let's kill him too. They risked their lives because of their love for Jesus Christ. Let's live our lives For our Savior Jesus Christ. And B. Let's proclaim his person and his work. Let's go into this community. And let's tell him what he did. Let's tell him who he is. He's God who died on the cross. Paid for sin. Rose again. And gives eternal life as a gift. Notice he gives it as a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you, you measure up to. You take the gift of eternal life. It is that simple. May we who know Christ as Savior. Show our love for him. As we obey him. And as we proclaim. That he is the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Thank you, Lord, that anyone in this room, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, has eternal life. He's done it all. He is the satisfactory payment. It is finished. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He has fulfilled all of the scriptures, He's done everything. And, Lord, may we believe in him for eternal life. And then as those who love him and know him, let's live for him. Let's obey him. Let's proclaim him. Let's do all the things you want us to do, Lord. Thank you for these great truths. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again and gives us life. We ask this in Jesus' name.